Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to the Working Class Bowhunter Podcast. Um, I wanted to say a few things before we get into this episode, as you're probably curious from the title or the cover art or whatever. Um, this podcast is one that originally aired, we've never done this before, this episode originally aired as episode 98, uh, titled 98 Dave Geyer, uh, My Dad, Papa Dave. Uh, this launched September 1st of 2016 on the original airing date. Um, for me personally, I- I'm kind of posting this out of selfish uh, reasons, really. T- um, it's, you know, episode 98, which sounds like a lot of podcasts, the way I look back on it. Uh, we were very new to podcasting. I listened to like our hosting skills then. I mean, they still might be the same and they still might suck, but it's just, you know what I mean? When you look back on things you did, you kind of like, ah, man, I wish I would have done it differently. Or maybe wish I would have let my dad talk a little more, or maybe wish we, I would have got asked this part of that story. Um, looking back now, um, my dad at the time, I remember when we did this was, uh, I don't know, he's never real big on like really being on the podcast or uh, you know being in front of the camera. My dad legit genuinely just loved seeing me do it and I I think he was just proud of everything we've done then and especially up until he passed. So um that being said, you know, we're trying to get him to talk more and bring up conversation to make him feel um comfortable and involved. Not that he was uncomfortable, but you know, it's weird talking into a mic. Sometimes we uh, struggle with getting really a lot of people in and just getting them to talk like the mic and all that's not in front of them. But this episode's pretty cool. He talks to the story of the guy or buck. Um, yeah, it's just kind of a neat episode for me. I wanted to bring it back to life, um, kind of put this little intro on it. And uh, it's not a real long episode. I just hope you guys enjoy it. We have a ton of great episodes coming down the line here the next few weeks with some great in-studio guests and some big buck stories. And um, we got some product episodes on the way, um, some gear coming into season and stuff like that. So 
Um, a lot to look forward to. But you know, I I just I don't want to drag this intro out too long. Uh, what I I what I do want to do, it's a lot of do's. I want to list just I'm going to read our partners, and I'm not going to kill everybody with advertisement this week. Um, I just want to give out a sincere thank you to all of our partners and supporting what we do um, from episode 98 when this originally aired to now over 500 episodes. And now, I mean, in this episode, we mentioned Jury Outdoors, you know, on topic of conversation, like to be partnered with them is just, it's all a dream come true. Like, I can't thank all you guys enough for listening, supporting, and and just showing us love. Um, The podcast is presented by Elite Archery, uh, Big Time, Scent Crusher, Old Barn Taxidermy, Loophole Optics, Trophy Line, HHA, HHA USA, Thermoseat, Victory Arrows, Huntworth Camo, Slick Trick Broadheads, Pull Back and Let Go, Grizzly Coolers and Blinds, Camo Fire, and Novix Tree Stands. Um, Just a group full of amazing companies and people behind the companies um, and Spy Point Trail Cameras. it's we're we're very fortunate to have these top brands believe in what we do and kind of maybe influence some shift on the industry on uh you don't always have to be uh you don't have to always present yourself like you're in a job interview you know that's not how real life works um but that being said thank you guys um all our partners thank you guys for listening Thank you for supporting us from episode 98. If you did listen to this episode already and you listened through, uh, thank you. I don't blame you if you skip it again. Um, But if you haven't gone that far back uh, before the first 100 episodes, I hope you enjoy it and uh, see the sentimental value in this for me and probably WCB as a brand, you know, just, you know, with my dad on it, but also like how far we've come along and um, ease of conversation, I guess. All right, I'll quit rambling. Hope you guys enjoy it. And uh, I can't wait to bring in these future episodes we got coming on the line. I'm, I'm pretty damn excited for them. Thanks for being here. I'm Chase Rolson with Rubline Marketing. This is Jeff Lindsay. This is Michael Pitt. Hey, everybody. It's John Dudley from Knock On TV. Hey, guys. This is Jared Scheffler from Whitetail Adrenaline. Hi, I'm Taylor Nobody pushes the envelope like working class bow hunter. It's really, really not that good. In the studio today, we have my Faja, my father, David Geyer, and... A.K.A. Papa Dave. Papa Dave. Papa this is the first episode you've been on, and we're nearing 100, so sorry it took so long. Well, hello, everybody. <laughs> so my dad is the climber tree stand legend. The Geyer Buck is kind of like a 
legend buck story in our like friends group and family group and hunting camp group and uh so we're gonna i want to we want to know the story about that we'll post some pictures of the guyer buck and we'll get into the details about the size and score of it and then also sitting in the studio is ross bigger and uh we had him on it'd be two episodes ago by the yep. time this one airs so he came back he just couldn't get enough so he came back for more <laughs> thanks for having me back guys oh yeah, yeah anytime absolutely. so um We'll talk. Where should we start, Father? I don't know. Let's talk about what we did today. All right. Well, today, season is nearing, and everyone else should probably be doing the same stuff we're doing or have it done by now. If you have it done by now, I praise you. Props to you, man. Yeah, you're doing good. So what we did is we've been doing this for the last few weekends, I guess. Um, I was in Brazil, so that took like a a three-week gap in there. But we've been hanging stands cameras i'm in the point now where like you know you've been buying stands on amazon and have them shipped to the house and i'm like well, okay <laughs> since you bought stands i'll go pick up a trail camera right. and it's a never-ending cycle of just buying stands and sticks and cameras which is a beautiful thing so I mean, we you can't go- you can't complain about that no you can't it's money well spent sam doesn't care that i spend all my money on tree stands and cameras either so that's cool and uh <laughs> Sam's in here with no mic, just grinning at me. Hanging out. But, uh, yeah, we, what we did was, and this is something that a lot of people don't do, and I think we should talk about, is repairing your stands and straps that have been up for a number of years. Um, Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's something you don't think about. It's not something you just hang and forget it until you hear. I've heard a lot of stories of people falling through the podcast. Like, you know, I had a strap I was on the top stick and I was getting ready to step into my stand and the strap broke on my top stick of my lone wolf or whatever brand they use and I fell and uh Ryan Greenley fell and broke his back. Yeah. I had and a buddy fall a couple of years ago, broke his back and pelvis and it was a bad deal. His back and pelvis? Yeah. Oh my god. It's crazy. Well, it's the thing it's it's horrifying. You hear those stories and it's always like you never think it'll happen to you, but then you never know. That's why you, <clears throat> every time I get my stand, I check my straps, go over it, you know, Take a quick visual look and make sure there's no rips in your straps or anything. Yeah, and, and and I'll even add to that that even when you're climbing in at five in the morning, squirrels are going crazy in the fall anyway. Right. Uh, I've I've checked straps, been out there and looked at them, mm-hmm. and then uh, show up and five o'clock in the morning and you're trying to get in, and then all of a sudden a squirrel had chewed on your strap and it was oh, yeah. half it was halfway through. Yep. Mm-hmm. They've been tearing them up. I actually backed out of that stand, and and that hunt was. We ended up walking to another tree. Uh, got in late, but it's it's right. still something to be looking at. Well, that Absolutely. too, and Dad, the stands that like we repaired, a lot of them like we went up to them, and the, the straps were crazy tight. Well, the tree had grown yep. from one season to another, and one stand that we have to repair. I had one that strap that was old, and I didn't take it off. I just threw another strap over it, and the old strap actually had busted. That's yeah. why it's a good idea too to. Uh you know, at the end of the season, you can loosen your straps to a point where your tree stand is not going to fall out, but just loosen them because that tree is going to grow. It's a good idea. So just loosen them up a little bit so your strap's not stretching with the tree. That's a really good idea, and I've never we've never done that. Well, we've got so many stands hanging, it's kind of hard to get around to each stand at right. the end of yep. the year to do that. Right. It is hard, but if you can dedicate a day just to make a conscious effort to go out and loosen the straps we've we've done we did that this year and we've done it last year the years before we didn't but it's kind of a new thing for us to do uh it helps tremendously now you still get uh the straps being weathered uh they start getting stiff um i guess 
all the work goes into hanging that stand, so you don't want to have to replace straps right every year. It's uh, crazy too how much the sun will take out of a strap. You know, it, right? It, I mean, it'll dry that thing out faster than anything. Well, that's something we were talking about today. If you have a like, I was like, you know, if the straps are sun faded, like the colors faded, like we might as well just replace them. I mean, you gotta think you can buy a strap for what five, ten bucks. So we bought replacement straps. Did you order them off Amazon? Yeah, for ten dollars a piece. There you go. I mean, that's totally worth it if you yeah. think about it. You know, something else that we noticed today too is some of the safety harness straps. Yep. Mm-hmm. You yep. know, pay attention to them because they get brittle just as well, Frayed. especially if they're rope or if they're a strap. Exactly. Right. Well, that's the thing. You know, we went out to do that. We replaced a bunch of the lone wolf sticks, um, straps, and the stand straps, or the same strap, yep. and uh, moved a stand today. And <laughs> I guess everyone can probably relate to this. And we talked about this a little bit in the yard. We were shooting the new Scott release. And uh, today, my dad and I, what, how long did we drive back and forth along that uh, tree line looking for a place to set a stand? Probably a good hour. Like, it's, okay, we knew, I had a camera over there. I knew I wanted to, we wanted to put a stand over there. And I'm like, well, let's put one over here in this point. We can tuck one in there, shoot both sides of the field. Oh, but there's no sign in there. It, it was just like, you know, there's some trees in there, but when all the leaves are gone, you're going to be basically out in the open like, hey, everyone, look at me. And then where we <laughs> wanted to hang one back tucked into the corner, there was no trees big enough. We drove back and forth, back and forth. What do you want to do? I don't know. We need to put one in here. There's nothing over here. Ah, I don't know what to do. That's like when you know you say, "Okay, I'm gonna go out and hang two stands today." Should take me two hours, but then all of a sudden it's dark and you're like, "Well, that took all day." Well, it's just and, and this is kind of new property too, so we don't right. know it like we do our brand other property. new property. It's not kind of it is brand yeah. new, you know. So yeah, our other property we know well enough that we know exactly where we're going to hang them. This was a little different. You could walk there in the dark and hang a tree stand. Oh, you? definitely. Yeah, yeah, we could almost discuss like you know that tree that goes up when it splits and it's got that little weird bend in it over there. No, not that tree, but the one two to the left. That's the one we should put the stand in. And it's like we kind of know like, exactly. Oh, okay, yeah. But this one, it's like well, we got to go in and. I don't know. I know trees on our property we've hunted for my whole life, pretty much. You know, mm-hmm. this is all new. So it's... Um, and the vegetation's really, really thick right now. Oh, it's that's what that's nuts. A, what's terrible about this time of the year, and the bugs, and every, it's hotter and Sadie's out here. Hades or whatever. <laughs> hey, it's hotter than Sadie's. Sadie's. <laughs> today wasn't Sadie's. so bad. No, today was, uh, it was a breezy 80 in the timber, which yeah. is pretty good, but, you know, it's it's tough. I hate summer. Just because everything's overgrown in the bugs. It's, if it could be October year round, that'd be cool with it. Yep. But you know what? We but you have to do the shit in the summertime. You have to. You have to do it. You have to get it done. There are certain times where, like, there's some stands we know, okay, we're not going to sit it until late October, November. We'll go in with new straps or sticks and just do it as we go up. You're, right. Sometimes you're probably almost better off that way. Just stay out of there completely. Right. Well, yeah, not that now it would really mess things up no. too bad, but it's. I don't know. A lot of that stuff, we're like, we'll just come in. Like, another one if we have, we're going to go replace all the straps. We'll just go in and do it as we climb and sit it for the first time, and just, it'll be all right. But it's it's a lot of work, you know, with me traveling for work, and how, Dad, how you live, what, an hour, two hour, hour and a half, two hours away? Yeah, hour and a half away from the hunting property now. Right. So it's just tough to... Well, it's tough oh, to get both of you together and do this at the same time. Yeah. Right. But it's important. I mean, so it if is. you guys are... This is making you think, oh, man, that strap probably could be replaced in my stand. Just do it. Just do it. They're cheap. 
Go to Menards and get a what, what are they? Seven bucks on sale right now for four. Four of them for six ninety nine. It's perfect. <laughs> but they're like bright neon orange. They're red. Yeah, well, we bought okay. the camo ones because yeah, we're we, sellouts. We paid a little bit more there, Eric. Yeah, <laughs> I've used red for years. I don't yeah. care. <laughs> yeah, we did blaze orange last year in a couple of sets, but I don't know. Something to think about. Summertime. That's what's going on. Hunting season's near. Check trail cameras. Um, how many did we check today? Four? I let my other one sit. We had one good buck. One buck that... One good buck? One buck that's a, sh- a great buck. That'll be a shooter mm-hmm. this year. Oh, yeah. Sure. Probably 160s as a typical 10, I would say. What do you think I showed you guys that picture? Yep. Yep. Except the run one brow time's kind of screwed up on it. Yeah, he's got like one... Uh, let me look at the picture here. He's got one brow time that's going like... Eight straight up inches six to eight inches and the other one's like a bunch of junk on his uh his right side is a bunch of junk and the other side it's probably a seven inch brow tine and he's just tall typical good twos and threes and there's one g4 in his right beam is probably f- probably pretty good and then the other one's kind of weak but he's a awesome buck either way he looks fat body so he's probably got a little little bit of age on him at least i'd say at least four and a half See, that's exciting to see, though, especially on a new... Is that on the new property? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's actually see, on my... Awesome. The little patch of woods that that picture's taken is actually like a one-acre piece. They love it there. Yeah. I'm it, telling it's you. It's pretty awesome. You get a lot of cruising bucks this time of year. You oh, know, yeah, bachelored sure. it up. Right. I, I always make sure that I have my cameras out second, third week in July mm-hmm. because I'm... Um, Making sure they're there, making sure all of them are working, everything's working great. I, it gives me enough time to go out and let them let them run for a week and a half, two weeks. Go out, check them, mm-hmm. making sure that August first, those cameras are all prime time, ready to go. Because right. I get my best pictures of velvet bucks, three, four, five deer at a time, coming through from August or uh, yeah, August first mm-hmm. to the end of August, and oh, yeah. I mean, August is the very best month. You By think so, far. huh? For, for me, yeah, absolutely. My, mm-hmm. uh, as far as all the velvet bucks hanging out together, right. yeah, you get some awesome ones. But uh, you can start getting pictures of deer that you hadn't seen before and right. really good ones, and they're all teamed up. Uh, you just got to keep in mind that those deer all disperse. Right. And they all, st- all of a sudden, you had pictures of him all year right here, and then he disappears. Right. Well, that's come, thing. come September 15th, gone. You Velvet's off, him. things yep. change. Yep. Well, the testosterone changes. They're all buddy-buddy right now, but give it a few weeks and... So, yeah, I wonder what will happen if this with. deer will continue to run through that. Yep. You know, I wonder if, like, the first... Because it was, like, 11 a.m. So I wonder if, you know, the first week of October, if I'm going to sit in there and see him. Or if it's... I just won't ever see him again. Well, but, and a lot of times you're going to see that deer... Uh, once or twice more, or maybe you'll never see him again. I guess I it it, it changes. But when prime time comes around and you're hunting and you're pulling cameras and you're getting pictures of deer uh, that you've never seen before, oh yeah, that that's because those deer were on somebody else's ground and, and they were coming. getting pictures of them and then they disappeared on them. I mean, right. these deer move right uh, as far as their velvet uh, patterns right. versus versus out of velvet and establishing their for zone. sure. Well, that's another thing too is. Um, I was talking to our buddy Trevor Schmidt, and he said all my neighbors, everyone I know, hasn't haven't really got any good pictures of bucks in velvet. And I haven't either, really. It's I a got weird. A, cup, a handful, and that's about it. Well, and then 
that goes to show because once the velvet comes off, that doesn't mean the deer aren't there or they could right. be over here on the neighbors, yep. but you're going to have good deer eventually move through there. Um, I mean, we're fortunate that we live in Illinois. Iowa has smaller bucks, Eric. You can attest to that. Yeah, I'll, but test, I'll test to that. <laughs> I'm rolling my eyes right now, by the way. But it's just, you know, I was kind of like Maryland when it comes to deer hunting, you know? There's just not a lot there. But it's... Uh, <laughs> I'm leaving. I'm done with this podcast. <laughs> Illinois is just a better state. Everything but our politics is better than everywhere else in the country. And, and economy. Yeah. But... Uh, I ain't going there tonight. That, that's the encouraging thing, you know? It, it sucks not to see those pictures of the big deer in the summer. You're like, man, where are they? What the heck? But... But they're out doing their own thing, checking shit out, you know what I mean? Right, for yeah. sure. Well, it's exciting when you get one like that on the, on your camera. Right. It gives you hope. And most of the time, you know, you're checking through pictures, you're going so fast, and you're like, ah! and you got to go back like 10 pictures because you're going so, flipping through them so fast. Well, every time we checked our cameras a day, Dad, it was like, what do you got on there? Well, little buck here. Oh, it's a decent buck. That's a decent buck. And I ran out there. It was like through a bean field. Go and check it, and I'm like, oh, 200 incher. Oh. <laughs> no way, it's not even close to 200 inches. But I'm so used to seeing little guys. I'm like, oh my god. And I'm like, oh wow, a nice one finally. And you I don't get- know what it is about this time of year that that the big boys start showing up again. But they, they run such a tight pattern right through the hot months of the year. It's crazy, which it's hot, but it's it's you know what I mean. It's right. uh, they it's start all- they I, for some reason year after year they start start showing up now right and, it's and a- you'll get a big buck that you've not seen and you've had that camera out all summer long yep. and for me i've gotten burnt out on what looking at fawns and does and coons and turkeys right. and squirrels and everything especially so, raccoons man yeah. right oh you spend so much time going through those cards and 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 like we talked uh last week about or well, it's been a while since we talked but whenever we talked about how I run a lot of cameras. I've got a lot of money invested in cameras. 22? I run, I run so many of them because uh, I can tell you after running that many cameras for three years, four years, whatever it's been, um, I have my almost guaranteed hot spots this time of year. I've got four cameras out of 22 or five cameras out of 22 that – I can almost guarantee there's going to be a big one this time of year. And then they all switch. And now I've got those other spots are hot spots during the mm-hmm. rut or October. Or mm-hmm. And and by running that many cameras, it allows me to see what their patterns you are, pattern. where they're moving, Absolutely. what they're doing, Absolutely. food source and everything. So it, That's a good, yeah. That's cool because would you know that if you had if you didn't have that many cameras? Right, that's the thing. You know, so. that's a, you know I'm buying more. I think we're up to eight. And yep. I think Bill Winky, I think he runs... The Midwest Whitetail episode I had watched, I was wondering, I was wondering how many how many cameras does Bill Winky run? He said he has eleven. That's all he runs. Really? And maybe he runs more now. I don't know, but um, like you don't know what do the juries run? How many how many cameras are they running? How many you know like these? And then you have to take the ratio of per acres and everything. I was else, gonna say you, know? right. you got to look at uh, what what size of piece. Right. They're, they're Absolutely. Yeah. Doctor Deer, you know James Curl. I, I watched a thing on uh, North American Whitetail. And uh, they were teamed up with uh, Aaron Milliken, and uh, we know Aaron Milliken, Mer- Milliken from Whitetail Properties. And he said he runs. You only need not Aaron said this. Uh, Doctor Deer said this. One camera per eighty acres is what he said to get an accurate deer survey. He said it depends on your property. You could do one camera per fifty. See that just that just sounds insane to me. Yeah, doesn't sound like a lot, really. No, 
I, I, like, don't, I, think, I don't think that's enough. I think you would have more cameras for that 80 acres. Well, it depends on your food sources, water sources, bedding areas, and things like that. Right. For sure. Definitely. And Well, and I think that's why now you're starting to see bigger bucks because the beans, they're getting bigger. They're starting to eat the beans, the corn's just getting to where they're going to start eating the corn. That's a good point. To where you weren't seeing them before, now you're starting to see them because everything's getting to where they're, they're starting they, to eat They the need beans. that protein right. source. Absolutely. Right. And you got to think, too, I mean, cameras are out now. And you're seeing that trend. You're going to see that transition from velvet to not velvet. But then you guys also think how many deer are in the corn? You know, they right. travel through the corn more than anything. It makes you wonder how many deer bed down in the corn all day. Well, we all know a lot of them because we used to hunt with a guy that had a helicopter. Right. Yeah, and, that's a good point. And he would see them in the corn all the time that they were just in their bedding. That's true, like that, that, down with the corns down and stuff like that. Well, let's, let's use that to segue into kind of the guy or buck. But, too, but, yeah, we hunted with a guy in hunting camp, had a helicopter, and he would fly in, and he would just be like, man, you know, I saw, like, he, was, he I don't know how many dead bucks he found with that helicopter. Like, just, oh, yeah, oh, we had one year um, EHD or one of those disease, diseases hit this property that we hunted. Um, he found flying over a lake and saw two deer locked together in the middle of the lake that were dead. And you would never see that from land, though. You never. Would never. No, and then he, he found another pair, but he actually went down there, and you could smell the, the rotting meat. Right. Yeah, a year later, the next year. Yeah. So he has two mounted sets of locked bucks. And they're nice deer. Yeah, they're, the first they're not one, small deer. No, the first one he found in the lake, one was like a 170 10, and the other one was like 145, 150 inch 10, just locked together. Mm-hmm. The way, didn't we, didn't they break it down where the lake was between, like on this bank of this ridge? They think the deer were locked in. Rolled down the ridge one, or something? Yeah, one pulled the other one down the ridge, and they went into the lake and got kicked out into the lake. And it was actually they were frozen in the ice. And they went in there and broke well, and that, them. That's the why ice. you could smell that a year later, the next spring. Well, no, no, that was the one he saw from the helicopter. The one the year later was like November when he found them. So they must have been dead for a week, maybe. So oh, they were really? they were ripe, yeah, they were fresh. These other ones were frozen in in the lake. Yeah, and it was off season, I believe, wasn't it? It's was either off season or really late season. Late late like, season, like January, like early January, late December, but. Let's talk about the Geyerbuck, Dad, because this deer has gone down as, like, a legend in our, like I said, in our, our group. I guess we'll just call it that, our circle of friends and hunting camp. And um, basically, well, if, if, you, if your last name is in a buck, you know it's going to be something special. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? If it's called the Geyerbuck, you know it's something decent. Well, this deer, let's explain the deer. Let's talk about the deer as itself, and then we'll get into the story because that'll actually give, because people who don't know what the deer looks like, they'll actually kind of get a picture of it. So it's a mainframe eight-pointer that I think what has 15 scorable points. Yep, 15 scorable. 15 scorable points, 20, oh, I'm trying to remember. I wish we had the score sheet. We're so unprepared. Um, 25, 26 I thought it was 28-inch greatest spread. spread. I can't remember what it is inside. It's like 24 inside. Maybe it's a little bigger. I it's, I, it's bigger than that. It's insane. The beams are 25 and 26-inch long. Um, 
I think no, twenty four and twenty five. No, they're bigger than twenty four. Man, we're rough at this. Let's just say this thing is gnarly. It's insane. <laughs> it's gnarly. It's beans it's are gnarly. Huge. It's got thirteen inch G twos, um, two drop time kickers off the left G two. Um, it's just got everything: split brows, big wide gapped out eight. If it was a mainframe ten, it'd be well over two hundred net. It netted one eighty three and an eighth, grossed one hundred ninety one and three eighths. As, but, a, as an eight-pointer. And pictures do not do this thing justice. Like, I've seen pictures for it of it for years and never seen it. And then when we came down to hang those deer, I'm like, goo. Yeah, we <laughs> put it on the wall. a monster. It's insane. So this is a story. Go ahead and just tell the story. Well, I mean, it could be a kind of a long story. Um, just get into it. We, we had this property that we hunted, and... Uh, there were several of us that hunted it. I say several, like maybe six. And some of us stayed in one place. Some of us stayed in another place. We had two places that we could kind of camp. Um, it was One had a cabin. One was another, just, just another place. But we wouldn't always communicate exactly where everybody was going to go. So my son and I decided that we were going to start hunting the south side of this property, which was a, a thousand acres. Mm-hmm. that nobody was really touching and it was kind of nobody really knew a whole lot about it at the time mm-hmm. so we started hunting it and i was like a big climber tree stand guy back then i like to move around i like to go where people usually didn't go kind of scout areas and things like that look for trees when i was on my way um, for different wind directions and things like that and i had already picked out this tree kind of walking back to my other locations over a period of time. And we got up one morning, and it was a strong south wind. And people at hell had the fixed stands. They're like, well, where are we going to sit? Because the south wind is weird for yeah. November. Yeah. It's like we don't really have good good south wind stands. Well, I knew where this, this tree that I'd spotted, so I actually backpacked my climber in that morning, and I was – Real quiet, went in there real quiet, took my time, strapped in, got up in the tree. And it was just right before daylight. I could kind of hear this, like, rustling in the in the woods. Mm-hmm. And I would give my little, my grunt call, just a couple grunts every now and then. And I'd wait 15, 20 minutes, and, you know, I'd, I'd do it again, and I could still hear a little bit of rustling and things like that. Well, it was probably around 8.30, and, you know, you kind of get antsy. You haven't really seen a lot going on. And, uh, of course, and this kind of, you know, I had a Gatorade bottle I always carried because if you've got to pee, <laughs> you got to have something to pee in. If you got to go, you got to go, man. <laughs> so, you know, I had to go. It was 8.30 in the morning. I already drank some coffee in the morning, and so I peed in my Gatorade bottle, and, <laughs> I just kind of set it down and put the cap on and looked over, and here come this deer out of this ravine, probably about a 15-yard shot. I had just enough time to pick up my bow, make the shot. I didn't have enough time to get nervous. It wasn't like I was sitting there watching this deer come in for That's a good thing. 30 minutes. Yeah. See? Yeah. It was just that fast. I made a great, great shot on it. Probably went 20 yards over on this ridge. I kind of watched it wobble and kind of fell down this ravine. Couldn't see it anymore. Mm-hmm. So when when 
You did that. I was at school. I was in eighth grade at the time. So I was like, oh, four. Yeah. I'm in eighth grade an hour away. <laughs> I was a little tight. And uh, so I wasn't with you, but I was like, was it the... It was like after the week that I'm always try to come down. It there. was actually the day before shotgun season was going to start. Right. Okay. And I was coming home to get you that that night. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you're down there with our buddy Dave Crean at the time, and uh, Jim Burns, our other really good hunting buddy, was down there with you too at the same time, wasn't he? Right. Correct. And this was a time where like texting wasn't big. No, and we were using the. Uh, little walkie-talkies yeah turn your walkie-talkie on this time we'll check <laughs> yeah. in with you yeah right? it was crazy it, texting was i don't even know if texting was around back then i don't remember it i mean you saw the old flip phones and a pager well yeah we we you didn't get reception down there either so it's right. not like you could just call somebody so we would like try to have these walkie-talkies and at certain times we kind of knew that you know we'll kind of communicate but uh yeah i mean i ended up getting down out of the tree and of course after i shot him i wasn't nervous so did you know how big was though when you shot it i had never seen this deer i think it, i saw him a week before chasing the doe but yeah. i don't know if it was actually and, and we thought we had a pretty good handle because of course we didn't have a lot of trail cameras back then and this is we, when they still had the the 35, 35 millimeter, millimeter yep. <laughs> you <laughs> still have one laying around i have somewhere. the same one the only one we had <laughs> never took pictures <laughs> Hey, you take it in to, to Jewel. We the one-hour development. Wait, yeah. wait an and get hour. it developed, and there would be like nothing, nothing, nothing. I can't even wait 10 minutes to get back to my truck to look at him. <laughs> so, but, okay, so you shoot this deer, it fall, you see it fall on the ridge. Right, and it, it actually fell into this valley we used to call the Valley of Death, or I did, because it was basically 80 feet straight down. Yeah, like you could you could fall and die into it. <laughs> yeah. It was that bad? Yeah, it was, oh, it was, it, it was bad. Well, it fell down at least 12 feet, so instead of trying to drag it up, because I think just before it was field dress, it was probably a 300-pound body. I would say easy, so, well, easy. I drug it down the hill, got it it. I went back and got a hold of my buddy and told him kind of where I was. He knew the property because he'd been out there with us enough times and had him drive his quad. It was kind of a rough quad ride getting down in there, but... It all kind of ran into where you could actually drive down there in one spot. And I stood in front of the deer when he pulled up, and then I just kind of sidestepped when he pulled <laughs> down there. <laughs> he, he couldn't believe it. It's insane. Well, the deer is so gapped out and wide. It's not like a tight rack, normal size buck. Like, you know, the distance from the G2 to the G3 is like there's a long length of beam in between that. So the beam, it just looks huge and massive. It looks like a crossbreed between a whitetail and a muley, like a big it muley and a whitetail. Yeah. That's the best way, and it's real dark chocolate rack. So what? Uh, so what do you say? Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> what, what would anyone? <laughs> so what did you do? You guys, you loaded it up, and then you guys put it on the four wheeler and just drove it back to the where everyone was staying. And I wanted to like Jim Burns. Well, well, Jim was on the north side hunting. So, right. so we came back and we had this place that we where we stayed. That we it was called the lab. It was an old soils testing lab. Right. So we were name, there man. and we were, were taking some pictures. And Jim came up and I did the same thing. I kind of stood in front of it. Mm -hmm. And then when he got up there, I kind of moved and he couldn't believe it. Um, and you know, Jim been out there probably longer than anybody. Oh yeah, Jim's been hunting out at that property since. 
like late nineties. And, um, and, and he's seen ninety eight. Nice I think was there. his first year out there. Yeah, he shot a hundred and seventy inch buck out there. Real yeah. nice deer. Yeah, and he's seen some two hundred plus inch deer out there. Just <laughs> never had an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So did anyone else see this deer prior to this? No. I, I believe I saw it a week before. Um, I was in a you know with my bow, a little tyke, and it was out in the middle of a field chasing a doe. Well, Kurt used to sit on in a stand that I hung for him and film. Yeah, he's and, the, and we would talk to the other guys about some of the deer that we were seeing, and they're like, "Yeah, whatever." And then we'd play back the film for them. <laughs> yeah, it's right here. And right. they they couldn't believe it. They're like, "Holy cow! These guys are seeing some big deer." Well, after I shot that buck, I mean, we were the only ones hunting on that one south side property, which I said is a thousand acres. It was it was a huge property. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like after that, everybody kind of went over and started hunting. <laughs> right. And then we were rubbing elbows. That, it, was, it was always good fun. But that, uh, We had a blast down there. I tell you what, just good camaraderie. You can't beat hunt camp like that. Yeah, we had a unique group of guys in hunting camp every night. It was a blast. I I missed the – I'd always take one week off from everything. We always would every year. First or second week in November, bow hunt. All week, just cut up with the boys all week, eat good food. Jim Burns would always bring down like this, just the biggest cooler you've ever seen, as long as our studio table just packed with goodies. And we're just like, that's the best thing about deer camp is the camaraderie. Well, hunting and the food. Right. Well, it's the food. Shooting deer is a bonus to it all. It oh, really yeah. Is. It just makes you, makes it, it makes a story. Right. Well, I remember I get, so I'm at school. It's November. All I want to do, I'm in eighth grade. All I want to be doing is bow hunting. Mom comes in on my lunch, on lunch at school. Um, I'm pretty sure your dad just shot a 15 pointer and I'm like freaking out. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, you pick me up from school with the thing in the back of the truck. Everyone else probably that doesn't hunt is probably like rednecks. Like, what the hell? <laughs> Stay away from Curtis Geyer and his father. <laughs> and, you had a uh, dead deer hanging over the side of the truck. <laughs> right. I hop in the back. I'm like, Wee! We were like celebrating and stuff. It was it's nuts. We took that thing to the locker in Geneseo, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Remember the the didn't you have like a ninety year old dude come up and shake your hand like congratulations? Like uh, there was people staring me down because it was sticking out of the back of the truck, even laying down it was probably nuts. six, seven, eight inches, right. if not more. <laughs> but yeah, and the guy from the locker actually took a picture of himself with the deer and had it hanging on his wall. Well, we, yeah, we went to pick up the cape like a few days later, and we walk in, yeah, and he had it printed on the wall, right? It was, yeah, said it was the biggest deer he had ever seen. It's it, the deer is unbelievable. It really is. It's so, just a really unique big deer. Yeah, it's outrageous. And then immediately, the story. Oh, you told the the piss bottle story about you peeing in your Gatorade bottle. Yep. yep. And immediately it was like, oh, it's got to be the Geyer piss. It's got to <laughs> be the Geyer piss. It just got that scent to it, <laughs> right? Yeah. So. I don't know. It just that, and then you killed like a hundred and sixty inch ten the year after, and mm-hmm. people were just like, what "The hell, man! Might as well bottle that stuff up and sell it." Well, like it's yeah, I had I don't know probably <laughs> eight years in a row there that I was I shot a pretty nice buck. You're on a streak. You're on a winning streak. I went on a, I went on a slump there. We got it. We kind of go back and forth. Yeah, but you guys trade off every eight years or what? <laughs> Hopefully well, not I every hope eight years. Not that long. <laughs> we can do every well, other. I, I'm due. I'm due. I didn't. I didn't shoot a buck last year. I had several small ones come in. I had one buck that I kept seeing, but he wouldn't give me. 
you know, he was 70 yards, 80 yards out all the time. It's just how it happens sometimes. It just doesn't – sometimes the stars don't align and you don't get a shot or a chance at one. Well, but. that's like saying, you know, he says a 1,000 acres and he was one guy in there. That's a perfect example of at the right place at the right time. Right. right. Well, a lot of it is, too. It's, it's, it's scouting. It's knowing the property. Doing, it's, it's doing your homework. Knowing your wins. Yeah. Yep. And a lot of it is, too, you, you said with a climber. You oh. know, it's that makes a big difference. It's not. It wasn't a ladder stand that was in there, and guys walked into that ladder stand all the time and hunted it. Oh, the wind was, eh, might be all right. Hopefully, I'll chance it. You can't do that stuff. No, and you want to know something? There's something to that, and I, I'm going definitely going to start hunting a, a climber again because right. I had more luck with that climber going into places, and maybe the first or second time I'd been in there and actually shooting a, a big deer. Right. Rather than going to a fixed stand that was there all the time. Right. No, you are the climber king. I will say that. And then what's funny about it is it's like a, didn't you get that climber on sale at Walmart for like 40 bucks? Yeah, it was like just after season. And it was, <laughs> it's like a river's edge. <laughs> it was. It was a great, great climber, though. You wore that thing out. What? I mean, I wonder if you could get replacement like the straps and all. Do you, Do you still, still have it? it? You know, I actually left it hanging on a tree in Wisconsin. You did? Yes. But I know Ray, the guy that we used to hunt with, has a brand new one. Just like it. That I'm trying to talk him into selling me. That's so, your that is your good luck charm for two thousand sixteen. <laughs> you got you have to get that stand. I didn't oh. know you left it in Wisconsin up yeah, there. Yeah, I left it up there on a tree. No, mm-hmm. you gotta go get it. That, well, the straps case. were worn out on it. I mean, I literally taped them up. It was bad, yeah. yeah. I mean, I hunted that thing for seven, eight years. We can, we can fix that. No big deal. <laughs> Go, you better take a trip to Wisconsin this next weekend. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was a good stand. I remember all the paint was worn off it and everything was starting to get shiny, and then you had to put that real tree camo duct tape on it to cover all the shiny parts. Like yeah. It was just worn through. It was probably a good thing that it's you retired it, it. but You know, and it takes a lot of work with a climber. I mean, you go in in the morning in the dark, and it can be relatively warm out. Right. And by the time you get in your stand and you're up in the tree and you screw in your bow hook, right. you're, you're sweating. Well, like the thing crazy. now, too, though, is they've made it to where, like, the hang-on with the new sticks and all that, it's pretty easy to move, a, 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 like, a lone wolf or whatever brand you use. Well, true. I mean, good example, I had the climber and I wanted you to be mobile. We ended up buying that telescopic. Stand. Yeah, who made the Ameristep? I think it was an Ameristep. Or no, was it a, um, yeah, no, not Ameristep. Um, was it like a ladder stand? What's the other company that has the Target as their logo? API? API. Is it an API? I think it I, It might have been an API. It's a telescoping stand, so it like shoots up like a, like the ladder like folds inside itself. Mm-hmm. It's not very mobile. Kind of like the little giant? Well, back in the day. <laughs> yeah, it's like the little giant ladder. <laughs> back, back in the day, that, that was about as mobile as you could get it was actually you know it was that or a climber yeah but the sticks you know make it where you have four sections three or four sections of a stick and if you're sitting here and you know the deer are 100 yards over there you can pull it down move over choop, 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 throw it up yeah. right i mean sure back in the day it was you probably added 20 pounds to all that gear and everything with stands and sticks and everything mm-hmm. yeah and well you're not as mobile anymore Steve's in the studio now. He just walked in. Hey, this is the greatest podcast I've ever heard since I'm not on it. They've actually got like a Texas uh, 
little, the little uh, Texas 12-footer. Uh, what does Trevor call him? The Texas tripod. The Texas tripod. I saw one that had wheels. Yeah, who made that? Um, I don't know, but you can. Oh move no, it it's Hawk. It. Hawk makes it. Is it Hawk? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's where I saw it. So it's like yeah. a two wheel car where you just lift up one side and move it around, or what? That cracks me up, and I don't know. It's like eight foot tall. It looks like it well, just will never work unless I, I've had people. Um, when the guys we hunted with Jeff Powell's knows his stuff when it yeah. comes. He swears. Good hunter. Good hunter. I remember when I was young, and maybe he was just, you know. Just giving me shit or something else. I doubt it though, but he said that if you could sit on the top of a ladder in standing corn and kill a deer, he said deer do not care about anything when they're in standing corn. I'd probably because they never get ever feel threatened when they're in that tall stuff. Absolutely well, not. They, I don't think not, they would. Probably not looking up in the corn. Why would well, they? Yeah, yeah, it's true. They're surrounded by everything. They're not. They don't feel threatened if they don't hear anything. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, maybe you roll one of those out in the middle of a if you can find where like the corn's down in a certain area and set up on it and <laughs> well you got a short window to use that stand right yeah you gotta right, talk right. to your farmer hey man you mind leaving up this whole field it's cool man it's cool just leave it up yeah i've got a i've got a question or a topic i guess uh are there bigger deer nowadays than there was 20 years ago Ooh. or are there more hunters in the woods that are and big deer are getting killed that you're starting to see them see that that could go mm. both ways i think that's a that's a great tricky question that's it, deep well, you know that 20 years ago i really wasn't a big deer hunter you mean, i was yeah, mostly I was... small game there weren't as many deer around but people were shooting some big bucks in certain areas i think now you got more deer management going on yep. so i right. think you're seeing more deer on properties that people are managing. That's yep. the beautiful thing, probably, of like hunting shows because hunting shows have made the general public more educated and aware. Like, man, these guys are creating these big deer because they're putting in food plots. They're being selective. That I think that has a big role, and and now everyone's on a pro staff. Um, all of a sudden, <laughs> so that makes it for like <laughs> everyone is like trying to kill bigger deer, but. You also see the James Jordan buck that was shot in like what the fifties, well, yeah, the forties, or something, right? You know, and you know, you see the uh, what, what is it, the Milo Hansen buck from Saskatchewan was shot in like nineteen ninety. Mm-hmm. You know, it's twenty six years ago, and that's a the record, the record typical two twelve typical is mm-hmm. insane. Um, but that that could just be a fluke, you know. I mean, maybe if you averaged it out, like you know, now is there more. 150 inch bucks across the board than there was 20 years ago. Probably. I think possibly. I think I'd say probably population wise, there's more deer. And and I think if you've got your neighbors doing deer management and their neighbors doing deer management, you're going to see bigger deer, maybe not the biggest, but I think there's. Right. Bigger deer being shot all the time. Right. Well, it does take it takes super freak genetics and rare cases of the the alignment of super freak genetics and the correct age to create a two hundred and twelve inch typical deer. You know, just because you get a buck from Illinois that has prime genetics and you get him to where he can be, say, we'll just say, grow him up his whole life. He never gets hunted. He lives to be twelve or whatever, something insane. At his peak growth, he might not break 135. It just depends on that deer's genetics, you know. Absolutely. You know, that deer, you know, will probably get big. You know, 150, I think, is a great buck across the board at 
no matter what, I'll shoot 150 every year if I could. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't pass one. Someone, I mean, some people do. It depends though. You know, if you have a three year old 150 and you know your neighbors are on the same management plan and your property is good and you know you have a better chance of seeing that buck next year, you know, you can turn into like a 170 in a couple of years and that's yeah, let him go. That's different. It's well, totally- you, you know, Jim, our buddy Jim, he passes up on 150 deer all the time all the time he's got so many nice deer hanging on the wall that he's like well if i'm not gonna mount it if it's not bigger than what i got hanging on the wall i'll be selective yeah and- but he's you know we we're big meat eaters we we eat a, a lot of does we kill a lot of does every year right where he wasn't really into the meat like as much as we were yeah well he didn't like depend on the meat as like we really enjoy it and depend on it well it- doe management is another good thing too and maybe that is too like you know back in the day 20 years ago people were just killing bucks and not as many does you know just going for the i don't know maybe not could be i mean did they have the i i wasn't hunting 20 years ago obviously but did they have like the doe tags and the antlers tags and everything i don't doubt the late late season antler list i doubt that yeah it was a different ball game you know we could get that's um, what i mean i think it's more more manageable by the dnr now too well, that too. Conservation's just evolved to it's more fine tuned, I think now versus what it was then. Which and I think it has to be because of the there's so many hunters hitting the woods for sure. And there's, a, there's a boatload. You can't have a free for all, and and it's cutthroat as far as it's cutthroat as far as property and and hunting rights to a place because you you got a ton of guys trying to hit that one spot. So yeah. it, well, everyone's on a pro staff. We got to remember. I'm just joking when I say that, but it's just like everybody's. It's, it's, it's an inside joke here. Yeah, it, I mean everyone knows the listeners oh, yeah. know, but it's it's a good fun. Um, but well, no, it's it, it's a good topic to to bring up. But. You, you know, though, I have an uncle that started hunting back in the early '60s, deer hunting. He, yeah, he was around. He's been around since Illinois deer season started, yeah. probably. You know, <laughs> honestly, because it's, yeah. it's in there somewhere, right? '60s, '70s. You know, and he said what. Steve, Google that, will you? When Illinois deer season started? It was six years. He went without shooting a deer because the population just wasn't up. Or even yep. seeing one, right? Yeah. And I mean, he shot over, what, 200 and some deer by Yeah, now. we were just talking about this before the podcast. Yep. We need to get him on an episode. Yeah, he's a great guy. But the, the population wasn't like it is now, not at least around this area. So you know, it's, it's a little bit different. You know, now they they say a good population for deer, uh, average square mile, is like 35 deer per square mile. Is that what it is now? Yeah, what you break that down, I mean, a square mile is, what, 680 acres? I have no idea. Something like that? That's beyond me. Too much math for me right now. Certain areas are different. Depends on deer management, food bedding areas water how much actually yeah like yeah. livable cover there is the thing is maybe that could be a whole episode is like the retro deer hunting like what the seasons have evolved from from then to now and the deer quality from then to now what deer how many deer got killed then in the beginning of the illinois deer season to now well like what dave said is a good point where he was said uh you know back in the day you were a big small game hunter oh absolutely well my old man always told me he's like we never did much deer hunting because there wasn't that many deer around. It was more pheasants, rabbits, bird hunting, rabbits, quail. yeah, everything. But yeah. but you look at it now, and there's so many deer around, and not as many pheasants or quail or any of that. There's not a lot of pheasants in our area. No, and it used to be overpopulated by pheasants, mm-hmm. big time. 
So what <clears throat> what it looks like it says, you know, um by nineteen fifty, you know, white tailed deer were only able to inhabit sixty eight Illinois counties and thirty three counties of that were open for hunting in nineteen fifty seven. Uh, but by 1976, every county except for the four counties in Chicago, you know, Cook, DuPage, uh, Canaan Lake, uh, were open, uh, to firearm season. So, and then 2004, western portion of Kane County was open. So basically, throughout Illinois since 1976, and yeah, we got that many deer now. So. Wow. Well, yep. Big, big change. And a lot of, you know, it's all about hunting. It's the hunters that is the reason why we have such good hunting now. It is. It's, it's a conservation, conservation effort. It's conservation. Exactly and that's the thing, is. like, you know, the last episode we uh, brought up, like, PETA and, like, anti-hunters. That's just the shit they'll, they'll never get. And you can show them the numbers. You can show them the stats. You can show them, like, this is the money hunters' dollars go to to help these animals. Like, what are you doing? What money are you putting towards it? You're just... You're just bitching about it on Facebook and calling us bad people when you don't even you have you don't even know what we do for these animals or anything that goes into it. You know, it's they just ignore the numbers, they ignore the stats and everything we put in front of them. It's just it doesn't exist because they don't want to see it. Right. Everything could, they could do is. Have, a, could you imagine these states though if we did not hunt a single animal? It'd be uh, man, that would be crazy. Could you imagine that though? Like. If there wasn't a single hunter in any state. In the well, US. the thing too, though, if there wasn't, if there wasn't like a conservation effort, one, there'd be poachers just shooting things for fun because there would be no education on what needs to be done. And I think there'd be so many animals, disease would just run through it. Yeah. Well, one, they run out of food because what did we say? They need the other episode we talked about this. They need like twenty two hundred pounds of forage per deer. That's what a deer eats per year. So. You know, well, they're eating all the time. Basically, that's leaves and grain. And imagine, you know, take 2,200 pounds or 2,000 pounds and put it out. And then, so you see that 2,000 pounds of forage or food or grain, whatever they're eating. And then take that times how many deer there are in a square mile. And <laughs> how many did you say were in a square mile? Well, it, it, that's just a rough a, a, a average. It, you know, if you've got good property. Google that, Steve. It's thir- it. 35. <laughs> 35 a square miles, what they say? Yeah. But, you know, where we used to hunt, we know there was a lot more than that. I would say, I would definitely say, there's so many does that the buck, you just oh. see does. And so right. say if you did, we'll sit around it to 2,000. <clears throat> so it's 70,000 pounds per square mile <clears throat> for deer. Yeah, that's a lot. And that would be crazy if you didn't have any... Corn is what saves them there, but well, that, yeah. if you didn't have anyone harvesting these animals, well, yeah, they'd be starving and oh, absolutely suffering and dying of starvation, random disease. Well, EHD hits too, and that's just Mother Nature's way of saying, "Yo, I don't admit, I don't know, we got to control some stuff here." But that's the same way with like disease with us, you know. If but then it's going back to the gene pool too. I mean, you can only crossbreed so many times. You know what I'm saying? Before they start. Getting all deformed and all that right, stuff. Right, right. It's like barn, like uh, barn cats. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, and I think, uh, thank goodness for the farmer. We are in the corn belt. Right. And uh, if they didn't have the grains to mm-hmm. eat, then uh, they wouldn't. If they be... just had acorns. 
We'd be very similar to a whole lot of other areas. Of Eastern the states. Yeah. And same deal. So, yeah, yeah. We, we can grow big deer in this Midwest region. Right. Because there's a lot of grain. Right. So yep. well, The thing is, too, imagine if we didn't have all this grain. Um, the nutrients wouldn't be there. I mean, they just wouldn't get it. Well, imagine how hard our winters would be. On the, on Midwestern deer, like, yep. you know, even you get into like Wisconsin and Northern Illinois where, you know, we have this grain it really puts a lot of weight and health into these animals. And you take all that away and imagine putting them through sometimes with the windshield, it's like negative 20, you know, in February, oh, yeah. late January. That is gotta be brutal on these animals, man. Well, I mean, just looking at deer in the wintertime here, they look healthy. Yeah. I mean, they, they're fat. Like, you right. know, Dad, you were saying They're your deer plump. was probably 300-pound deer on the hoof, you know, with, you know, full live weight and full rut, you know, put on some weight. And it just doesn't happen in, you know, states where there's less grain, eastern states, southern states. And it's just, I don't know, it's nuts. Thank, thank God for the grain because it's making healthy animals. Hell, that's why our raccoons are like freaking small dogs sometimes <laughs> <laughs> but uh and that's why we get a thousand trail cam pictures of raccoons every time we check yep. but it's uh the son of a gun it's another man. creature but no it's it's crazy that everyone is kissing your feet because no lot not a lot of people get to shoot a net 183 inch tip mainframe eight pointer it's uh it's nuts that's the record for that property too by the way yeah, still it stands. Is. as it, far as we know as far as we know since um, you guys been hunting, then well, the yeah, it was actually sold uh, last year. Yeah, well, about a year ago, maybe two years ago. Mm-hmm. And I guess the way I understand it is that property is under crazy surveillance. <coughs> like these guys have trail cameras on the county road that divided that property, and they're all cell phone cameras, and they know. Like if you drive up and down that that road too many times, someone's getting a phone call. Because they're just on it all the time. Every yep. camera they have is a cellular. It's just nuts. But it's, uh, yeah, I guess it's crazy. But yep. the way I understand is they're not shooting anything under like 160. They're like, we're 200 inch deer only. Is the way they're trying to make that property. And it'll take a few years, but, but, you, but, but you can do it. It'll take forever, but, though. You know, something when we were not out really. There, nobody not was every shooting. deer is guaranteed to make 200 inches. No, they're no. not. No, but. you just weed them out. No. <laughs> I'll, hey, they can call me. I'll come shoot all their 170s. For Hell me. yeah. <laughs> Any day of the week. Yeah, you know, we just took a couple cool bucks. Yeah, they were net like uh, 173. It's cool, though. We only take the coal, Boone, and Crockett's off the property, you know? But <laughs> that property made them. It did. It definitely did. But, uh, you know, it's all good things. What do they say? Every good thing's got to come to an end. Yeah, we kind of knew it was going to happen eventually. Yes, sir. So Eric's out going to wet his diaper. We're all in here. We appreciate you telling your story, Dad. You're, it took almost 100 episodes to have you on. So thank you for being thank my dad you. and killing big deer and uh, teach me everything you've got to learn. You know, that's kind of funny. You know, I taught you when you were younger. Now you're kind of teaching me. It's a beautiful cycle. <laughs> you know, it's just like I was telling Sam today. I was like, yeah, it used to be I was the guy always up in the tree hanging the stand, and Kurt was always hanging me stuff. And now he's like, Dad, I'll do that. I'll do that. Well, <laughs> Dad, you know, you're not getting any younger. So uh, I know. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It's going to be a good time. I'm looking forward to season. And hopefully this episode made you think, oh, shit, I got to hang some stands. 
move that camera around, maybe change those straps out. Yeah, um, be, be safe. Yes, definitely be safe. It's not worth it because a lot of you guys have kids at home, and they want to see you home every afternoon after the hunt. So wear your safety stuff. Be conscious of what you're doing, and uh, definitely don't make a stand difficult to get into. That's one thing we're done doing. Yep. Just make them easy to step right in. You got to get home, see your family, um, and you got to be around to kill more big deer. So that's always a plus. Yep. But uh, thanks for listening to this episode, guys, and you know what to do. Go shoot your bow. Later. Thank <laughs> you.